We are surrounded by beautiful boats. Uh, the uh, crest is a is a big impact uh, uh, boat and pontoon here at Wallstrom Marine, and they got a bunch of these crest pontoon boats. And man, oh man, if there's a boat that has seen unbelievable improvement and now uh, unbelievable usage, it's uh, these pontoon boats from Crest, that's for sure. Hey, it's Thursday. We have our Michigan Answers with Paul W. Smith, which we look forward to. And this morning, it's Dr. John Osterholzer, affectionately, I'm told, called Dr. O. He's Associate Professor of Internal Medicine, Pulmonary, and Critical Care Division at University of Michigan Health and the Veterans Affairs Ann Arbor Healthcare System. May I call you Dr. O.? Yeah, please, Paul. Uh, that would be perfectly fine with me. That's what most of my patients end up calling me. Well, that's excellent. I like it. And uh, and I like the fact that you're going to educate us this morning with a few things. First up, um, you, are, you are very involved with military burn pits, and I, I can kind of guess what they are, but I don't really know what they are. Can you help us understand that? Yeah, for sure. And, and to understand a military burn pit, it helps to understand a little bit about why they were created in the first place. And uh, basically, if the military is in another country, especially a hostile country, they're setting up bases all over the place. Some of those bases might be very small, a few dozen men, but some of them can be the size of small cities, tens of thousands of individuals living in an area. And they won't typically have access to that country's sanitation disposal systems. They won't have access to the sewers or landfills or incinerators. And yet they generate a lot of waste. And uh, the military's solution in terms of what to do with that waste was to create these burn pits. And a burn pit might be a hole in the ground or it might just be a 50-gallon barrel that's cut in half and basically filled with anything that the base is generating on any given day. Everything from you know every meal, there's leftover food, there's styrofoam, there's plastic, there's a lot of equipment uh, and, and clothing and other things that go unused or are no longer functional. They get thrown into the pit. Uh, electrical equipment, mechanical equipment, sometimes unexploded ordnance or other sorts of things, and then the waste, the human waste that uh, is generated uh, by the personnel oftentimes needs to be disposed of. And the military solution was to basically put it into pits, and because this stuff doesn't burn very well, they douse it in what's called uh, JP8 jet, jet fuel, and oh, it gets boy. lit on fire, and it burns for days, weeks, months, and years. It sounds like one bad thing after another uh, involved with burn pits, and I can't help but believe that you end up, because of your specialization, seeing veterans who have been affected by these burn pits. Yes, and, and, and that's what really got me interested in the field is, is about a decade or more ago, seeing veterans show up in my general pulmonary clinic who were in their late 20s, early 30s, seemingly physically fit, and yet they were complaining of shortness of breath and an inability to go for a jog anymore. They get winded climbing stairs or they couldn't pass their, their fitness tests when before deployment they could. Uh, and, and the area we're particularly talking about is deployments uh, mostly to Iraq, Afghanistan, Southwest Asia. It's, it's veterans from those areas who are coming back complaining of this. How does the, uh, the government respond to these findings? Well, the findings themselves are, are interesting, and the, and the most eye-opening article that really motivated me to do research in this field was a publication in the New England Journal of Medicine back in 2011 uh, by Dr. Robert Miller's group at Vanderbilt. 
And he basically had uh, soldiers with similar sorts of complaints. They were short of breath. He put them through a battery of our standardized tests, uh, breathing tests, CAT scans, x-rays, and they were coming back normal. But he did the unusual step of taking them to a biopsy, a surgical lung biopsy. And there his group identified a condition that they described as constrictive bronchiolitis, basically scarring of the small airways. And that was really important. And uh, that was sort of a main article that got the field trying to figure out new ways to diagnose this condition, because otherwise the government wasn't sure what to make of it. Uh, you know, when, when tests come back mostly normal, it's hard to know what to do. So we knew we needed you know, better tests, better capabilities of, of identifying problems. Dr. O has, in his recent research, used uh, some new techniques for analyzing CT scans, uh, which helped identify small airway disease in these various individuals. And, uh, and, and this sometimes would happen after other tests would prove to be negative. But you have found the techniques show that these soldiers and their small airways uh, and the small airways disease was equal, if not worse, than patients who have mild to moderate COPD. So we know that's a big deal. This should be a big deal, too. Yeah, we're really pleased with that um, with that publication recently because it really represented a lot of hard work, years of work and collaboration, collaboration with our Department of Radiology who helped develop this technique, uh, and collaboration with Dr. Miller's group at Vanderbilt where we basically said, you know, you have these scans from patients who have biopsies, would you be willing to send them to us? And he did, and uh, this new type of analysis uh, led by one of our pulmonary fellows, Caroline Davis, it showed that Indeed, there is small airways disease that is hard to find by standard tests, but this new technique showed that it was higher than normal healthy patients and, as you mentioned, could be as severe as patients who have mild to moderate COPD. Um, so we uh, think this uh, helps explain. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I, I, you always finish your sentence because that's most important. <laughs> There's just a little delay here. So finish that sentence, and then I've got one other quick question. Sure. I was just going to say, we think this validates uh, veterans and, and soldiers' experience when they're told their, you know, their tests are normal. They're understandably concerned. Um, but we think this may help show that, nope, they have small airways disease, and they, we're not surprised they're short of breath if it is on the uh, order of what's seen in patients with COPD. It makes a lot more sense this way. Well, and you want these people to stand up and be heard, and uh you encourage veterans to sign up on the VA Airborne Hazards and Open Burn Pit Registry so that they can be followed, and more importantly, they can be helped. Yeah, that's an important resource that the, that the VA has developed is this registry. So if you're listening and you're a veteran and you served in this area, um, you can, I encourage you to sign up. Uh, basically, just Google Airborne Hazard Open Burn Pit Registry. You'll find it. You can sign up and you can also click a box that basically requests a evaluation by a VA provider. Even if you don't currently participate in VA healthcare, you're eligible for a, uh, a VA provider's exam about your deployment-related health concerns. And uh, congratulations to you and your group for the recent article published in the New England Journal of Medicine describing the presentation, workup, and diagnosis of a, a veteran with constrictive bronchiolitis and the article was a way to bring awareness to non-VA clinical providers without issues pertaining to post-deployment health and all of that. But good to put it on the map. Dr. John Osterholzer, Associate Professor of Internal Medicine, 
Pulmonary and Critical Care Division at University of Michigan Health and the Veterans Affairs Ann Arbor Healthcare System. Dr. O, it was a pleasure. Thanks for helping all the people you just helped this morning. Thanks so much, Paul W. Enjoy your day. Uh, you do the same. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is the sort of stuff that goes on that the general public doesn't hear about. We don't hear about these sorts of things. And uh, and soldiers have got to know about it because they're not alone. And if they, they maybe not get an opportunity to talk to fellow soldiers, they should know that this is happening and there is help as we continue on WJR.